Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. morning. I, I feel kind of like um, Christianity is sometimes like a dot to dot, but except for that nobody put the numbers in. And so, uh, you know, you've got this picture, and you know a lot of times when you're looking at a dot to dot, you go, I, I think I know what this is supposed to look like, because I see eyes there in the middle, and, and so... Um, the, the caption also helps. It says Jesus at the bottom. It, and so you're like, okay, I think I know how to do this. And we're all working on our pictures and it all turns out differently because you don't know exactly the order you're supposed to connect things in. And, and you get done and maybe there's this glob of stuff over here and it's not part of that. It's like, well, it looks complete. I mean, you've got this message about the forgiveness of sins by the shed blood of Jesus, and I believed that, and I was told that I received eternal life, and I believed that too. Oh, oh, and then there's this baptism thing. And you're supposed to do this too. And you're looking at that and going, well, I mean, you guys have been doing this longer than me, I guess, and so I'm supposed to do this thing. I mean, I guess. It doesn't make any sense, but sure, get me wet. I'm good. So I would like to put some numbers on dots this morning and try to show from the word how baptism is exactly a picture of the gospel and how that going through this does something special between you and Jesus. Um, If I were to build a house and not do any landscaping, um, would the house be habitable? They're like, well, you built it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the, the landscaping doesn't make the house more or less livable. It's, it's something else outside. And I, I think a, a lot of people feel like when they receive the message of the gospel and believe in it, the house is livable. We're good. And baptism is just like a landscaping thing out front. This is something that the neighbors see, but they don't need to do that. I can live in the house. We're good. We're good. We don't need to do this. So uh, if you've got a Bible, I want to start in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, we'll also be in Acts 8 and Romans 6. Um, Jesus, we ask for your help as we look at your word and as we think about what you've told us to do, that you'd bless us with understanding and that you'd bless us with a better ability to communicate your gospel and how, sh- how people should respond to that. And I pray, Lord, that your hand would be on this service this morning as we do baptize some people, that you would be so present so freshly experienced by all of us 
that absolutely everyone here would be changed by the experience. Thank you for newness of life. Thank you for your gospel. And thank you for teaching us what to do in response to it. Jesus, be honored here. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians 15. This, by the way, that the letter to Corinth is written to a church, which means that Paul is not trying to get anybody saved in telling them these words. He assumes that the gospel has already had an effect, and otherwise they wouldn't be called the church. He'd be out there trying to evangelize, right? Um, verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Pause right there. Don't we tend to think of the gospel as something that saved us, and that's in the rearview mirror? But he's telling the church, okay, you already had an experience, you already had an encounter with Jesus, but the gospel has this ongoing saving effect in you. It's doing something right now. You who already believe in Jesus... by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This is the wrong place to say amen. I, I'm trusting that I'm not believing in vain. And I'm trusting that you're not believing in vain. I'm trusting that this gospel is continuing to have a saving work in you right now and will continue to have a saving work in you until it's all sewed up in heaven. Now, he, this is the reminder starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared. Well, let's just stop right there. I want you to keep hold of a three-point outline of the Gospel. That he died, that he was buried, and that he rose from the grave. I really, really want you to have this. Let's try this together. One, that he died. Two, that he was buried. Three, that he rose from the dead. Let's do it again. That he died. That he was buried. That he was raised from the dead. If you're going to preach the gospel to somebody, that's what you're going to say. And if that's all that you say, you're probably just going to confuse somebody. So I want to spend more time telling you what that stuff means. Because these are historical facts. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose from the grave. And anybody who does history well will not argue these historical facts. But knowing historical facts doesn't save anybody. So how do you turn the facts into something that saves, into something that enters people into a process by which they're being saved. I want to take you to an example of this. You've got these facts, and I haven't talked really about how you respond to the facts. Jesus died. And Jesus was buried, and Jesus was raised, and what do you 
do to turn that into something personal for you. So go with me to Acts chapter 8. If we had more time, I'd take you to the beginning. But verse 26, Philip is in the middle of this really exciting time. He's gone to Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved right and left. I would love to have a ministry like that. You? Yeah. And an angel of the Lord interrupts him in the middle of fruitful ministry and says, that's good, that's good, we're good here. I want you to do something else now. You know, people in the Bible knew God. Because if it was me, like being Abraham and the Holy Spirit says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go sacrifice him on a mountain that I'll show you. I'd be like, that's the devil. And if I was in the middle of a fruitful ministry where people are getting saved left and right, and a voice says, okay, that's good, leave and do something else, I'd be like, that's the devil. But these people knew God. And they knew the voice of God. And so when the angel comes and ministers the word of the Lord and says, Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. It's because he knew the voice of God. And I would commend that to you this morning. Know the voice of God so that whether what he says makes sense or not, you just say, yes, Lord, and do it. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. So God set apart his servant, and he goes to this desert road, and there's nobody there except this one guy. So probably the mission is this one guy, right? Probably not just a prayer walk. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. It's not just probably. He knows the voice of God, and this is what he says. Go join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? So God sent his servant, and the servant sees the setup. The word of God is already in motion. <laughs> and I would just say to you, if you're somewhere and you hear somebody reading aloud the Word of God, it's a setup. The Word of God has gone before you get in there. <laughs> Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Yes! Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. By, by the way, this is Isaiah 53. If you especially hear somebody reading Isaiah 53 aloud, it's a setup. God is moving. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? for his life is taken away from the earth, end quote. His life is taken away from the earth. 
did you know that with that phrase you can preach the gospel? Life taken away from the earth, death. To what end? Burial. Life taken away from the earth, resurrection. He went back to heaven, away from the earth. It's all right there. So the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Open door. Glory to God. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What's the good news? He died. He buried. He was raised. That's, okay, so what does the eunuch do with this? As they're going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. How often has that happened to you? God opens a door, someone comes to faith. Yeah, so far, good. That's happened to me. How many of those go, where's water so I can be baptized? I need it now. Because it's part of this dot to dot that just doesn't seem to connect to anything. It's this vestigial organ. (laughs) Yeah, you believe with your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you're saved. I I could teach that from the book of Romans, chapter 10. So, so what's this? What, what is it that the eunuch knew that we don't? You hear the gospel and that's the response. What, what does that have to do with anything other than that it's become church tradition? But you should know because there's an answer to these questions. We start in 1 Corinthians 15. That's explained in Romans 6. I want to go there next. So you believe in Jesus and your sins are forgiven. We tracking so far? Everybody knows this? What does that mean? If all your sins are forgiven, does that mean sin it up? It, it's, all, it's all covered? Because you get to the end of Romans 5 and think that. Because he says, where sin did abound, there did grace much more abound, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign in righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It sounds like the more you sin, the more grace is poured out. And it's not just the way it sounds, it's the way it is. It sounds too good to be true. And and Paul anticipates, somebody's going to hear this and go, well, if that's the fact, then grace is good, and the way you get grace is by sin, so let's just have a party. So Paul starts chapter 6 this way. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Well, what do you mean we died to sin? Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Time out. 
Where's this word baptism even come from? Yeah, that's the Greek word, baptizo. But how did we get the English word? It kind of worked like this. William Tyndale's working along, making his Bible translation, and he comes across this word, baptizo, in the Greek. He's turning the Greek into English for us. It was a great work that he did. And he comes across there and he goes, what do I do with that word? And you can hear from the English word baptize that he didn't do much to it at all. He just wrote an English word that very closely resembled the Greek word. He didn't translate it at all. And I'll tell you why not. The, the word Greek, baptizo, came from the dye industry. And it worked like this. Picture right here on the table a big pot full of indigo dye. And I've got piles of wool all around. And you know what color wool is. It's off-white, right? Kind of a grayish, brownish, whitish. This wool is not black, it's white-ish. <laughs> and so you take the wool and you baptizo the stuff into the pot. And it takes on the character of what's in the pot such that when you take it out, it's forever changed. That's what happens in the dye industry. And they just transported the word into theology and said, you need to be baptized into Jesus. Such that when you're immersed in him, you're transformed into his likeness, forever changed. So, Back to verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptizoed into Christ Jesus were baptizoed into his death? It's not just likeness to Christ. There's a sharing in the experiences of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. You're baptized. You take on the character of these things. You're forever changed by the death of Jesus, changed by the burial of Jesus, changed by the resurrection of Jesus, and I say forever changed. Because that's what happens when you baptizo something. So, verses 1 and 2, we already read, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. Your relationship to sin is forever changed because you were baptized into Jesus' death. And I would say today that sin is pretty strong. All of us who have experience with that can say amen. Sin is pretty strong. And in fact, it's so strong that there's only one thing that I know of that's stronger. Death. This is the gospel of death. Is that the death of Christ was died for you and the power of sin was broken for you and that when you're baptized into Jesus, the power of sin is broken in you. What about the death of Jesus? It's, um, I, I'm gonna, 
We already did verse 3. I'm going to look at verses 6 and 7. It says that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So what else do we have in the baptism into Christ? We've got the burial. It seems kind of odd to me in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's going to do a skeleton outline of the gospel and, you know, you could think you could abbreviate. You've got death and resurrection there. Why do you put burial in the middle? What's that for? You know that sin does some things to you? It makes you guilty positionally whether or not your feelings agree with that. You know, the law is like that. If I just didn't have any problem with, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto, my conscience was just fine with taking people's really nice cars. You can tell by what I drive that that's not the case. But let's just say that I wasn't emotionally guilty over doing that. Positionally, I'm still guilty. And if I ever get caught and I say, well, but I just didn't feel guilty over it. I thought it was okay. Nobody else is going to think this is okay. My feelings don't make me innocent, right? But here's the other thing. What if Jesus comes to you and justifies you and says, you are innocent? And your feelings just can't ever get on board. The fact of guilt has been rolled away, but the feeling of guilt remains. What do you do with that? And it's been a long church tradition that that's exactly what the grave is for. It's for the feeling of guilt. He declares to you that the fact of guilt has been rolled away because he declares you innocent, but sometimes the feelings just can't get on board, and that's for you. The grave of Jesus is for you. It's for your feelings. It's for shame. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You are baptized into his resurrection. Are you kidding this? You are baptized into his resurrection. Do you know what power it takes for somebody to be raised from the dead? You guys ever see those dumb old Frankenstein movies? Scientist rigs up some kind of antenna to catch the lightning. There's this incredible infusion of power into the stitched together corpse, and voila, he lives. I didn't think I was going to reference October 31st today. I guess I just did. 
you know that you can shock a corpse all day long and it's not going to live? I don't care how much lightning you harness. You're not going to resurrect somebody that way. It's more power than that that's required to raise somebody from the dead. Only the power of God does this. And it's a resurrection that takes somebody who's walking around. Okay, you weren't physically dead, right? When Jesus met you, it was something worse, really. Because you were physically alive and spiritually dead, which meant that you bore works for death. Right? Right. Why was Jesus resurrected? I'm not, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about him. From, from his perspective, why was he raised from the grave? Because the wages of sin is death, and he hadn't sinned. He was innocent. And he was raised from the dead because death had no claim on one who hadn't sinned. He could not stay dead. Guess what? You're baptized into Jesus. You're baptized into his innocence. You're baptized into his resurrection. Death no longer has a hold on you. And the fruit of that, end of verse 4, in order that we might walk in newness of life. I, I want you to think about walking for just a minute. You guys ever step in sin? You didn't mean to, it just, it just happened. Yeah. Yeah, that's, there's nobody who doesn't, actually. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is there for us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need that to be there. I need that to be there. But what happens if I didn't just step in it, but I keep taking step after step after step after step after step? That's not how the Christian life goes. Instead, because Jesus is in us, that, that happened when we got baptized into him, right? He, he, we took his nature into us. We took his likeness upon us. And walking like this now goes not just a step into righteousness. It's not a haphazard experience. It's a habit. Step after step after step after step. Walking like Jesus walked. That's the effect of having been baptized into him, and we couldn't have done it before. We didn't have any of the faculties inside before having been immersed into Jesus, having taken on so many of his characteristics and being forever changed by that experience. So, the conclusion of all this is right there. Because there are people here this morning who haven't really taken on 
all that Jesus is haven't yet been transformed in being immersed in him in such a way that they're walking in newness of life. That, that's, that's some people who are here right now listening. And he's inviting you, Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, who carried the sins of the world to the grave. So if you're struggling with a stronghold of sin and you just can't seem to break free, Come and be baptized into Jesus' death today. Death is stronger than sin. If anyone here is struggling under the weight of guilt over sins of the past, come and be baptized into the burial of Christ. Your guilt is separated from you there. Is anyone here struggling with a lack of ability to live righteously in any positive sense? Come be baptized into the resurrection of Jesus. His innocence becomes yours. The power that raised him from the dead becomes yours, such that his habits become yours. Would you stand up with me this morning? Just raise your hands up to him as we close in prayer. Jesus, we remember you this morning. We remember your death. We remember your burial. We remember your resurrection. And we have such hope because of this good news. God, I pray that no one would leave this assembly today without having entered into the glorious benefits of union with Christ, of likeness with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us so to walk in the power of your resurrection that we would effectively share this message of your death, your burial, your resurrection, the transformation that comes about because of this with people. Grant your word to have transforming power in our mouths and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.